For the ones who get it done, the most important part is the one you need now. And the best partner is the one who can deliver. That's why millions of maintenance and repair pros trust Granger, Because we have professional-grade supplies for every industry, even hard-to-find products. And we have same-day pickup and next-day delivery on most orders. But most importantly, we have an unwavering commitment to help keep you up and running. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome to Red Leg Nation Radio, your home for discussion and analysis of Cincinnati Reds baseball all year long. Now here's your host, Chad Dotson. Hello everyone and welcome back to Red Leg Nation Radio. This is episode number 383 of the world's most dangerous podcast. I'm your host, Chad Dotson, with me again this week from RedsMinorLeagues.com and RedLegNation.com. It's Doug Gray. How are you today, Doug? I'm good. How you doing, Chad? Doing well, doing well. The season has gotten to be uh, fairly interesting in uh, recent days, and so let's kind of try to evaluate where the Reds have been and where they're going. Since the last time we recorded an episode of this show, the Reds are actually actually went 5-1 and one over the week. Should have been 6-0. and oh. We'll talk about that in a moment. But um, after uh, getting a walk-off win in that final game of the San Diego series, the Reds swept the Chicago Cubs three one-run games, including the walk-off the game before, four straight one-run games, and then win two out of three in Kansas City. Uh, the, the key to those four one-run games are that this garbage bullpen was actually lights out for a few days. They kind of hiccuped again uh, in the middle game of the Kansas City series, and uh, the Reds blew a 6-2 lead in that one. But they came back to win the series finale, and now they head on to by far the most important series, two series, of uh, of this season, and uh, you know you can't you don't want to call any game in July must win, but these ones coming up are must wins. First of all, what went right this past week? The bullpen, first of all, right? I mean, pretty much. I mean, there, as you mentioned, the the one six to two blown lead game that was tough. Um, but I mean, other than that, I mean, it seems like just about everything went right for the Reds, didn't it? Yeah, and and, and guys who just uh, aren't actually guys, but they look like all-stars all of a sudden for, you know, a few days, which can happen. They got to the big leagues for a reason. I mean, it's not like they, you know, <laughs> are not the major league caliber pitchers. They're not just, just not top shelf major league caliber pitchers. Um, now, so to reset it, the Reds are currently in second place in the National League's Central Division. They're six games behind first place Milwaukee, more on the Brewers in a moment. And they're the first team out of the, uh, the wild card, the last wild card spot, but they are four and a half games uh, back of that wild card spot. Um, this is in contention, right? I think so. Yeah. I mean, especially when you, you know, you, you look at what's coming up for the Reds. I mean, you just mentioned, you know, the, the Brewers, you know, two straight series against the team that's ahead of you. I mean, you know, they say that every game counts the same, but they really don't. The games against the teams in your division count a little bit more because you have a direct influence on their record too. Yeah, no question. The Reds are, are four games over 500 right now, 45-41. You know, they uh, they went on this big streak here that where they won uh, game after game after game, but could not <laughs> gain any ground on the Brewers because the Brewers refused to lose as well. They have picked up a couple games here in the last few days. So they get, Cincinnati goes to Milwaukee. We're recording this on Thursday as usual. They play uh, tonight, 8-10 p.m. against the Brewers. Four games set in Milwaukee, and it's a, sort of a strange uh schedule uh, qu- scheduling quirk after the all-star break since name Milwaukee come to Cincinnati for three more games so seven games here can put the Reds out of the race uh pretty quickly or could get them right in the thick of things 
Uh, either way, um, I don't want to think about the losing six to seven or something like that. But man, can you well, imagine? Why, why did you say, Why did you say it then? I know. Now we're all thinking about it. Oh, but, but can you imagine how? Uh, I mean, it really could. It's it's not exaggerating to say where we are seven games from now might be where we are most of the rest of the season, or at least it might begin to set the tone for the rest of the season. It might be an over, overly dramatic. No, I mean, let's be realistic. Like it, The next series, you know, they've got the series right now, and then after the All-Star break, the next series doesn't start until, what is it, the, the 18th, I think? Starts on the 16th. The 16th. So by the time that series is over, I mean, it's, you know, it's trade deadline time. You'll know exactly where you're at. If the Reds come out ahead, you know, hey, then they're, they're probably, I mean, maybe, who knows what, Bob Castellini and the ownership group not spending any money and you know handcuffing the front office, but maybe they're buyers of, of something who knows what. Um, but if if they don't have a good you know two series here, I mean what is what does that do for the deadline? Do they just kind of say hey you know this isn't going to work and they're sellers? I mean it, it's a huge you know set of of two series here because it really does kind of make or break the season and kind of decide what you're going to do at the end of July. And we will talk more about the trade deadline in a moment uh, because I'm sure we both have some thoughts. But but that is coming up at the end of the month. And you're right, we're going to ownership, uh, management, and uh, the fans are going to have a clear idea where this team is. Um, frankly, I, I, it was really important to me for the Reds to at least not lose ground um, in this upcoming series um, and against Kansas City. They could have won all three, should have won all three, but at least took two out of three. So. Um, in these next seven games, if the Reds can just, you know, if they win four out of seven, you know, that's not a huge victory in the standings necessarily, but it could be a pretty big uh, win for the team because that'll put them at five games above 500. And after that Milwaukee series, the schedule begins to look pretty good uh, for, for the Reds after that. This is something I talked about in my piece at Cincinnati Magazine this week because I got to looking at it and I'm kind of amazed at what the schedule looks like. First of all, the Reds are not traveling back to the West Coast for the rest of the year. They only have three games left against any team in the National League West the rest of the season. Near the end of the season, they play three at home against uh, the Dodgers. Now, now, Doug, I'm going to ask you a trivia question here before I continue the rest of my, my spiel here. The Reds have 45 victories. How many teams in the National League have more wins than the Cincinnati Reds' 45 wins? Let's go with five. The answer is four teams have more wins. Obviously, one is the Milwaukee Brewers. I think we've established that, right? Yes. The other three are the Giants, the Dodgers, and the Padres. The NL West, right? The NL West, who the Reds don't play the rest of the way. Um, it, it, I, I guess against everyone other than teams named the Padres in the last uh, you know four weeks, I think the Reds are 16-4. and four. Against everybody not named the Padres. That's pretty good. It's not bad. Um, so again, for what it's worth, those are some really good teams out there. Especially, I think I don't. I don't know that I see the Giants continuing what they're doing. Maybe they will, but the Dodgers and Padres, I think, are are both pretty good. Now, um, while they've the Reds have struggled against the Western Division, they're twenty two and twelve against Central Division opponents, and you know, including five and four against Milwaukee. And so, you know, that's pretty good. Most of the remaining games are going to come against those teams. So, um, and then finally, the last thing I want to point out, and then I'll shut up so you, so you can talk. Over the last two months, the Reds are going to play 22 games in uh, 
August and September, 22 ga- of their games, almost half their games, not quite, but almost, against Miami, Minnesota, and Pittsburgh. And those those teams are combined uh, currently, you know, 45 or so games out of first place. And they got the Pirates in nine of their last 18 games. I mean, if this team can hang on, the schedule might do them a favor. And maybe, am I, am I, I don't know, I feel like I'm starting to be too optimistic given the, the obvious flaws on this team. What do you think? Anything's possible. I, I, the Brewers are a pretty good team. They they really are, and I I, I think that I mean it's like we talked about a second ago. What what happens in the next two weeks is it's huge um, because I I don't think the Reds are going to win the wild card. I, I think it, it's division or bust. I think that the teams out west, one of those teams is going to win the division. The other team's going to win ninety five games. And I it's it's it, the, the math is so tough to see the Reds leapfrogging one of those teams out west. They're, 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 they're too good, in, in my opinion. I just, that, that, that's how I see that one. But yeah. they, the, the division's winnable because you get to play the Brewers. You, you can directly affect the outcome of their record in the games you play against them. Why are the Brewers better than the Reds? Now, every preseason prognostication had, some, had them maybe a little bit better. But most I, it of depends had... where you look. I, I, I definitely saw some preseason. Uh, predictions or not predictions, projections. Uh, there's a difference. Predictions are made just be you know off of right. what people think. Yeah. Projections are based off of you know statistics and other things. That there's computer models, whatever. Uh, they're, they're similar, but they're different. Um, I, mean, I, I saw some that had the Brewers winning 89 games, where you know the same same models had the Reds winning 80. Um, I, I think their pitching is so good, uh, and their offense has been absolutely terrible. I, there, there's no question about it. the Brewers' offense is brutally bad, uh, but I, I think when you look at it on paper, it's not as bad as it has been. So in theory, at least, they're they, they should be performing better offensively. Granted, maybe they shouldn't be performing as well as they are on the pitching side of things either. But um, I, I think that when you when you looked at everything before the season, the Brewers were a little bit better than the Reds most places, and a lot better in one or two places. Well. And, and that goes on with what I was going to say. I think they were a little bit better than the Reds probably coming in. But w- something they've done since those uh, projections were made, they've actually tried to improve their team. I they, think they, they, they've done more than try. They they have improved their team, right? Oh, gosh, yeah. I mean, they went and got the shortstop that we needed. Um, and, you know, they heck, in t- talking about the offense, they just traded for, uh, you know, um, a f- uh, first baseman, Rowdy. How do you pronounce his last name? Telez? Rowdy Telez. Telez, um, uh, who's, he can hit. Um, big guy, but uh, he, I think he can hit. <laughs> but uh, they needed him with uh, uh, what's his name out the big first baseman uh, Vogelbach. Um, but uh, and Willie Adams at shortstop, they've actually made moves to improve their team. Now, some former beat writers think the Reds' uh, management has done a good job get, getting people to improve their team. We're going to talk about that in review mail, so I'm just teasing that a little bit, but. The Reds have pretty much sat on their hands uh, while the Brewers have tried to get better. They're trying to win this division. The Reds are just hoping they win this division. And, again, I'm not going to say what I always say, but uh, it's frustrating. Do you, do you, do you it, want me to say it? No, <laughs> no <laughs> I'll say, I'll I don't. say it again because I brought it up a second ago. It, it's frustrating <laughs> because these teams were, I think, pretty close. At least the Reds were within shouting distance of them when the season started. And now they're the top two teams, as of now, that can change, obviously, in, in the division. But one team's really trying and the other's not. And it's... As fans, I, it just it makes me fucking like beating my head against the wall every week to talk about this team. Yeah, I'm I'm right there with you, Chad. <sighs> oh well, how good uh, would this team look if uh, I'm not gonna do it. I'm not gonna do it. I want to talk about uh, 
a couple of things. Now, in terms of news of the week, there's not, not a lot of uh, transaction news. It's been uh, kind of quiet. The one uh, bit of, uh, I guess you'd call it news, is that looks like uh, Michael Lorenzen possibly could be back uh, before the All-Star break uh, in Milwaukee. Is that right? Yeah, he's he's scheduled to pitch tonight in Louisville. Uh, it'll be his second rehab appearance with the bats, his third overall. He pitched one game out in Arizona. Um, if, if things go well tonight, you know, they're going to have discussions after after his outing tonight to kind of see, one, how he feels, two, you know, how he looks. I mean, obviously, if he goes out there and gets shelled, they're probably going to be like, yeah, you need another outing. But so far, things have gone well. Um, and, you know, David Bell had said the other day that, you know, if, if things went well and Lorenzen felt that he was ready, and, I mean, I think that we all know, uh, assuming he actually does get through it healthy, which there's no reason to think he wouldn't. But if he does, he's going to be like, yeah, I'm ready to go because that's the kind of guy he is. Um, you know, the, the plan could be that he could join the team on Saturday for the for the Brewers or the remaining part of the Brewers series. Now, we need to kind of remember who Michael Lorenzen is. OK, I think he's a somewhat above average reliever. He's not an all star. He's not a. He's not going to save the bullpen by himself. I'm afraid that uh, people are going to expect him to because the rest of the bullpen is a bunch of uh, nondescript arms. But he makes the team better. There's no question. I don't care who goes, who leaves uh, when Lorenzen comes. He makes the team better. I, and I think I know who will who will go, but um, which will be uh, probably CNL Perez, I'm guessing. But uh, he makes the team better. So faster, please, I say to Michael Lorenzen. <laughs> um, not so fast that you have a setback and you get on the, you know, the Sean Marshall, Nick Massett. You know, train of almost yeah. there. Oh, setback. Give me the chills. I know, right? There's another pitcher who's coming back. Uh, there is, uh, probably. Um, Jeff Hoffman is, I mean, he's made four starts in Louisville. Um, you know, he, I think he's about to be out of rehab days as well. So I don't even think they could send him back out there if they wanted to, unless he were to come down with an injury between now and the end date of his rehab assignment. Um, he, he's pitched fairly well. He gave up three runs last night in five and a third innings, but he looked good. Uh, those were the first three runs he's allowed uh, on his rehab stint. Um, the Reds haven't really been forthcoming with the role that he's going to return in. He has been starting in Louisville, uh, but David Bell had said before last night's start that you know they're going to kind of sit down and discuss what his best role would be with the team when he's ready, which to me kind of comes off as, hey, you're going to the bullpen, because if he were going to come back as a starter, they, I feel like they would have said that. They would have just outright said that, and they didn't. Uh, maybe I'm reading into it too much, but I, I think that he's probably going to come back in the bullpen. Uh, that's, I mean, realistically, that's what they signed him for in the first, or, you know, acquired him for in the first place, was to be, you know, a bullpen guy that maybe had an outside chance to be a starter. I mean, the only reason he was a starter is because everybody got hurt near the end of spring training. You know, when it was May 15th, or May 15th, March 15th, he wasn't in the rotation. You know, Michael Lorenzen ended up getting hurt. TJ Antone got hurt. Uh, then they decided that, you know, Jeff Hoffman's going to be in the rotation. But he was like the seventh or eighth guy. He just happened to stay healthy. Um, yeah. So, you know, I, I think that's going to be the role they're going to put him back in. Because right now, the starting rotation is healthy. I mean, Vladimir Gutierrez is the only guy that you kind of think maybe would have a spot questionable. But I, I just think they like Gutierrez more as a starting pitcher than they do Hoffman as a starting pitcher. Yeah, you know, I thought it was interesting when I saw that um, that Hoffman was starting in, in AAA. Got nervous for a moment because, frankly, I never want to see Jeff Hoffman start a game in Cincinnati again. Nothing against Hoffman. I hope he's a very good reliever. I'm Jury's out on that one. I'm, I'm not sure. But um, I think he can probably help this bullpen. Uh, but I, I'm not going to bet the ranch on that. But as a starter, no interest whatsoever. I've seen that, done that 
we got big guys that I like better. Um, give me Gutierrez or Santion any day. Yeah, well, that... Santion's pitching in the bullpen now in AAA, so that, that's kind of the move they're making there. And I, I think with Hoffman, the, the rehab as a starter thing was just insurance because, you know, unfortunately, injuries happen, and you, you do you would rather have him available as your next starting pitcher up if you're moving Santion to the bullpen, which they are for right now at least, than, say, calling up Ashton Goudeau to make a start. Yeah, well, that's, that's what I was going to say. I thought, I thought for a moment, that's weird, but then I thought, wait a minute, that's the smartest thing they could do. I mean, you know, build him back up as a starter, it doesn't make sure his arm's ready, and then you can use him as a starter or reliever, whatever. You're not precluding him being a reliever just because he's been starting. Um, yes, you're, you're right. We talked about that last week on the podcast. Santion, they sent him back down, and uh, I presume he's going to be back pretty quickly. I don't know when his 10 days are up. Uh, he can't be called back for 10 days, but that'll be coming up soon. I imagine he's probably going to be back in the big leagues sooner rather than later. I think he helps the bullpen. Um, and I think Hoffman probably helps the bullpen, too. So we, we kind of laugh about... Uh, the, the ridiculous comments that uh, that Nick Crawl, general manager Nick Crawl, made about, well, we're just going to wait and see, you know, if everybody gets healthy and then make a decision, which is dumb. It's just dumb to say. I'm sorry. I like Nick Crawl. Um, I think he's been handcuffed this year. Uh, I don't blame him for anything. But come on, get out of here. But the, you know, the, the flip side is, it is true that some guys are going to get healthy. That doesn't mean that he doesn't know what that there are still flaws in this team that can't be addressed. But you know, getting Lorenzen back, uh, potentially getting. Uh, Hoffman potentially improves the team, getting Santee on. I mean, those could help the bullpen. So that's a reason for optimism. Um, uh, Moustakas is never coming back. Mike Moustakas is never coming back, though, is he? I mean, I, I hope he is because that would really suck for him and for, for the Reds. But it, it does seem like uh, every new update we get is not really any update at all. It's just, yeah, he still can't do anything. He's still dealing with some soreness. David Bell says, you know, I got a little excited uh, irrationally without thinking, thinking it through because I'd seen the comments about, about him. But I saw him in the dugout out in Kansas City. And for a second, I was like, oh, wait a minute. Maybe he's closer than we think. But obviously, the reason he was in the dugout in Kansas City is because he used to play for the Royals. And they did a really classy tribute to Moustakas on the scoreboard before uh, before the first game of that series, which was nice. And uh, I don't know. Um I'm not. I'm eager for him to come back. I think he helps the the Reds, but it's just going to mean Suarez, Eugenio Suarez, going back to shortstop, and I'm just I'm not here for that. But I don't know what yeah, else they can do. I, yeah, I don't. I don't know what else they can do either. I, they, we said it before. They've kind of backed themselves into that corner this year, and I, I don't. I don't have an answer. Uh, what about this prediction? Because the other kind of news we got from the week was, first of all, Nicoladolo uh, was named to the uh, – he, he returned um, and got yanked after two innings. Gosh, what was going on with the Reds? Why did they pull him out of the game so early? Was he hurt? No, that was a plan thing. Um, <laughs> I saw but... you awaiting everyone screaming about him getting hurt again or something because they, he came out after only two innings. Yeah, I mean, that, that I knew going into that I, – I wrote an article about it like two days before because – uh, I, I knew that people would be freaking out about it because, you know, he, he's been dealing with blister issues for the last month and, yeah. uh, he, he got pulled in his previous start after you know, three and a third innings in the middle of an at bat cause a blister came back and so they held him out for like three weeks and, uh, but no, he's gonna, he's gonna head to the futures game and pitch on Sunday. And, uh, we actually, at first we thought he was going to be the only red that was going to be there. That's but, where I was going. Uh, yeah. Unfortunately, someone for the Padres got injured. And so the National League needed to fill another infielder spot, and uh, Baseball America and whoever at MLB kind of makes the decisions there, they decided that Jose Barrero would be going to replace that injured player. So now the Reds will have two participants 
in the Futures game on Sunday. Now, we need to see what Barrero does in AAA, obviously. He's played, what, eight games there now, I think. Yeah. Um, but, um, you know, if he if he performs at AAA, like he performed at AA in a high A, um, he's probably, as things stand now, he probably has the inside track on being the starting shortstop on opening day next year. Am I am I overstating his, that case? You are not. Now, obviously, the big thing is he needs to perform in AAA. Right. Yeah. Um, and we we just we don't have that answer yet. He's he's played there for you know a week and a day, so we'll we'll have to see. I'm sure we're all hopeful, um, but you know sometimes it it, it 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 takes a little bit longer to make that adjustment. It just I mean baseball's hard. It wasn't hard for me. Well, you know, you're special, Chad. Oh, that is a fact. Glad you finally recognize it. All right. Uh, one last thing I want to talk about before we get into the viewer mail, um, and because every other topic that we wanted to cover is going to be covered in uh, some really good viewer mail questions this week. But I want to talk we about... Always, we always get the best questions, We get we? the very best questions from the very best viewers. Um, I want to talk about Joey Votto. You like Joey Votto? I, I do like Joey Votto. I've liked Joey Votto for quite a while. I started digging into uh, Joey Votto uh, this this week. The reason why, and, and the reason why we're recording a little bit earlier than usual again this week is I'm actually going to be uh, out of town, so we got some special episodes, uh, new episodes. We got some some different things coming for you the next couple weeks, and I was trying to go ahead and uh, kind of outline my column for Cincinnati Magazine next week because I wanted to write about Joey Votto, and so I got started to try to get a head start before we leave on vacation, and I got to work on vacation on it. I want to do as much as I could. So I started looking at, at Votto since that benching last year. And it's it's pretty easy to remember, but now that he's hitting better, you know, I don't want anyone to forget that at the time of that quote-unquote benching, Votto was not Votto. I mean, you know, 2019, he hit 261, 357 on base, 411 uh, slugging, uh, OPS plus below uh, 100 for the first time in his career. And then... Yeah, getting near the end of August last year, he was even worse. 191 average, 321 on base, 326. And then in the five games right before David Bell quote-unquote benched him, Votto was 0 for 18, walked just twice, struck out six times. And the Reds went 1-4 and four against St. Louis and uh, Milwaukee in that stretch. And so he got benched. Um, do you remember, I know you do, I mean, uh, let's kind of reset the the tone around or the conversation around Joey Votto when David Bell benched him. I think a lot of Reds fans were uh, like, it's about time. And then they proceeded to talk about how much money he makes. Um, but it was kind of, still kind of a surprising thing, right? It was. I mean, you, you generally don't see those kinds of things happen to players like Joey Votto. Like, I, I, I don't want this to be taken the wrong way. If that were to happen to, say, Tucker Barnhart, it would be more understandable. It's sure. something that you would you would see happen. You know, Tucker Barnhart's a fine player, but he's not Joey Votto. Um, you, you just don't see that to play happen to players like Joey Votto when they, especially when they still have this much time remaining on their contract. Like, it's not like an Albert Pujols situation in Anaheim this year where you know they 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 released him, but you know he his contract was up at the end of the year. Joey Votto still had four years left on his contract when that happened. Yeah, and. There was really no reason at that time, though, to believe that these uh, this decline that we were seeing was going to change. And we were going on, you know, uh, a year and a half of him just being this guy that he still could get on base, 
but he hit with no power, and, and he basically uh, sacrificed power in an attempt to continue to control the strike zone. That, that's the way he described it. And so, immediately, I think maybe it was a wake-up call. I don't know what it was. Um, he said, uh, Vado said, maybe you get put in a position where you feel like your career is threatened or the opportunity to be part of a winning team is threatened, the opportunity to do something you've done since you were a little boy is threatened, perhaps. Not playing was an awfully humbling experience, for sure. And so he changed his stance. He decided to change his whole approach. Not his whole approach, but a significant change. He decided to stand up taller in the batter's box. Uh, he decided to try to accept the fact that he's just going to swing and miss, and he's going to strike out more often. And he was going to make a concerted effort just to hit the ball harder. And the results of that were immediate and remarkable to me. I'm blown away. He's played, uh, this is before uh, yesterday's game, but he had since that benching, he played 85 games, a little more half a season, 343 plate appearances, 259, 359, still good on base, 505 slugging, 19 home runs, 14 double, 53 RBI. His uh, weighted on base average, 371, which for those of you that don't understand that stat, like me, I had to look it up. That's great. His uh, weighted runs created plus, 132, basically 32% above league average. He, uh, you know, uh, his average exit velocity, top 93rd percentile. I mean, he's just expected slugging way up there. Sprint speed's not so good. But um, he completely changed everything about, you know, uh, the trajectory of his uh, offensive career. His barrels are off the charts. No He's never been this close since they started measuring. 14%, 14.1% barrel percentage. His exit velocity, 92.6%, the highest since they started measuring these things in his career. 37-year-olds don't do this. Intent matters, Chad. It, it does. Uh, obviously, there's going to be a need for some sort of balance between trying to just hit the ball as hard as you possibly can and still being able to make contact. But, it, you know, you, you mentioned that he he had kind of said that, you know, he, he was more focused on not striking out. Um, and he kind of had to abandon that because that wasn't working. Uh, and so he tried to hit the ball harder. And you know, it, it seems that right now, I mean, you know, Joey Votto's 37 years old. He's going to turn 38 in gosh was it two months yeah so i mean he he's not um a, a young guy anymore there are going to be some sacrifices that he has to make like all old players do because you know unfortunately father time wins every time and you your your skills do your athleticism it deteriorates as you age um but you know what he's doing right now is working he he figured out that next adjustment that he had to make I mean, I don't think that we're ever going to see, you know, MVP caliber Joey Votto again. No. But right now, we're still seeing above average Joey Votto, and I, I'm not upset about it. I, I'm, I'm sure that there's still some people out there that, you know, as you mentioned, are going to start complaining about his contract and he's making so much money and he should be doing this, that, or the other. But uh, yeah, don't listen to those people. They're, they're they're crazies. Yeah, as soon as I tweeted that out, I knew I was here. Come the onslaught of people talking about. Well, you know, he's not worth twenty five million. I'm like, get. It. I'm yeah, well, he 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 was worth eighty million when he was making, you know, two two million dollars when he won an MVP. So shut up. I'm sure these same people were complaining that he was underpaid at that time. Yes, I'm sure they were. <laughs> but what we're, what we've seen here is just really kind of uh, it's still it's it, it is just remarkable to me because uh, you're exactly right, Votto had done everything he could to try to command the strike zone. 
And when he was younger, he could kind of get away with that, still hit with some power. But as he aged, he just, you know, he had to sacrifice something. He had to make adjustments. It's just a fact he couldn't keep hitting the way he was hitting before because nobody can when they're 37 hit can, you know, hit like they were did when they were 26. And so, but it's just it's 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 really interesting to see how he um, made this intentional change. He sacrificed walks. Okay, he's not walking as much as he used to, which should make everybody happy. He's because uh, they hate when he walked. He's striking out more, um, but he's also more productive offensively. So just just been fun to watch. And yes, he's worth twenty five million. Get off my lawn. What made me think about it was that we had a kind of a short. It's not what I wouldn't call it a benching, a mental health break of Eugenio Suarez, who just frankly has been has been bad this season. And uh, so it got me thinking, well, you know, let's go back and look and see what Votto's done since his benching. I knew it had been better, but I didn't realize it had been that much better. And uh, in the six games since uh, Suarez is benching, he's hitting 273, 304 on base, 455 slugging, homer 5 RBI, six-game hitting streak since the benching. Um, I don't sense he's made any changes like Votto did. I don't see him anyway, but I don't know. I, I'm, I'm trying to be hopeful. But do we have any hope for Suarez at this point? I'll, I'll let you be hopeful, Chad. I'll just leave it at that. I know it scares me. I don't understand it. I don't. I mean, I, I, okay. I, I'm not going to leave it at that. <laughs> he ha- he hasn't been the same since his shoulder injury. He's not, not it, for a I, second. I, it, shoulders are bad news. I mean, in every sport they're bad news, but they're really bad news in baseball. And I, I just, I, I can't, I can't get away from the fact that he literally fell off a cliff starting last year after he had shoulder surgery when he injured himself. Uh, in, in a swimming pool before the season started. I mean, he went from a guy, he always struck out, but he could still hit a little bit. Um, he hasn't hit at all in the last two years. Yeah, he's not, uh, but it, what's frustrating is that he's not on the disabled list because he's shoulder pain. Nobody's telling us that it's his shoulder is not 100%, uh, but it, it, you can look at when it happened and uh, and see he's not been the same player. For a single day since the injury, uh, before the uh, twenty twenty season, and if it's just the fact that it's never going to be the same, then this might be the sore. I'm we're at enough games now where you know you're, you're anyone who wants to worry about it is is right to worry about it. I mean, we're talking about eighty two games this year, fifty seven last year. So yeah, we're I mean, going. That, that's a, that, that's a full season. Yeah, it's a full season of him hitting. Let's see, that's a total of one hundred thirty nine games. So 574 plate appearances, 188 average, 280 on base, 413 slugging. Now he does have 32 homers and 87 RBIs, so maybe some old school people will like that. Um, but yeah, but they're, they're going to hate that first part of the average, right? I mean, that's, you're right. Yeah, the batting average, um, 77 OPS plus over these last two seasons. I mean, this is, these are numbers that uh, are. I mean, that, that's Billy Hamilton esque. It really is. It really is. Just um, without the speed and the defense, and not. not I mean, I don't want to say. Suarez is a bad defensive player. I mean, I think that we all agree that he's really bad at shortstop. But yeah, um, but even even at third base, he wasn't Billy Hamilton in center field. So. Right. You see the catch Billy Hamilton made yesterday. I, I did. Oh, he's so he's, good. He is. He's really good. Comic book superhero Billy Hamilton. Anyway, yeah, um, we will talk more. I'm sure about Suarez in days going forward. But I'm just trying to squint a little bit and see that. All right. You know, he's done better since the benching, but I don't see anything's changed about his approach. or And really, he's gone like one for, you know, four each of those games or something like that. You know, it's not like he's pounding the ball. So, anyway, um, 
How about some uh, some viewer mail questions, shall we? I'm ready. Before we do that, we do have some uh, some thank yous to hand out to some new uh, members of the family. Um, I'm, I'm so gratified. Thank you all so much. The last few weeks have just uh, maybe it's as this team is getting better. You're enjoying talking about uh, the Reds uh, with us here, and, and uh, I can't tell you how much I appreciate all you all uh, joining up and supporting the podcast in this way. So three three new uh, family members. The first of these is actually an old family member. He's been around for a while. It's Jerry Sadath, but he uh, he moved up into the tier where you get a thank you on the podcast, and so we're thanking you, Jerry. Um, thank you, Jerry. Now, what position? Uh, as you know, Doug, we always have to pick up a position. S U D D U T H. Jerry Sadath. I think I'm pronouncing that right. I think I messed it up ten times, and he keeps correcting me. <laughs> but um, where is he playing on our beer league softball team? Sounds like a right fielder to me. A right fielder? Okay. What uh, what type of right fielder is he? A, I'm, I'm, I'm he seeing, I'm he's, got a, he, he's got a strong arm, got, moderate power, but he's a little bit slow. A little slow. I was actually I, I was seeing him as kind of a um, a Dave Parker type out there. You, you mentioned the strong arm, but he's got a flair. You just want to watch him play. Dave so, Parker was my first ever favorite baseball oh, player. Oh man, just the uh, if you didn't get to watch Dave Parker play with the Reds, you missed out. Uh, he was just a uh, that guy played with uh, with joy and it was just fun to watch. So, so he's our Jerry's our Dave Parker on the team. Jerry, thank you so much. Next, a name that I know I'm gonna screw up. Now, how would you how would you pronounce this? I'm gonna spell it for you. P e t e r. Oh no, I, no, never mind. No, that's that's I, Frank. Right. J u r e w i c z. Jurowitz. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not even gonna try. I'm. I'm just. Yeah. I'm sorry. I. I nope. Yeah, I apologize, Peter. I'm I'm, I'm going to say Jurowitz, and if that's wrong, just drop it uh, in the Slack channel or at uh, Patreon. Let me know how dumb I am. But uh, oh, you just opened up a can of worms <laughs> on that one, Chad. <laughs> Buddy, people are telling me how dumb I am every single day on Twitter. In my old job, they used to t- say how dumb I was too, but they'd wait to get out of the room, my room, you know, my courtroom, before they would say it. But, <laughs> that makes a little more sense. Yeah. Um, Peter, thank you so much for joining us. Now, with that with that name, I'm uh, I'm getting some. Uh, I'm getting some vibes here. Starting pitcher, maybe. Um, I don't know. Uh, who am I thinking of? Uh, gosh, there's some name that's jumping to mind. Well, what comes to your mind uh, when you hear that name? I was thinking third baseman. Third base. Third base. I I, I don't know why. So Jerry, I don't. Know. But that's that's what uh, that's what that's what came to mind. Okay, it's a dual role. This is Peter, actually. Oh, this is Peter. Yeah. Um, yeah, you can you can you can climb into the Slack channel and say how stupid I am too. It's fine. <laughs> um, Peter's going to be a left-handed starter, but he's also a, a dual role. He's a left-handed third baseman as well. Now, if you're actually left-handed, Peter, that let me know because that'd be fantastic. But that's where you are on our team, so you better learn how to throw left-handed. <laughs> um, finally, thank you again, Peter. Finally, big thanks go out to T.J. Hurston. Again, I probably missed that one up as well, T.J. Uh, I'm sure it stands for Thomas Jefferson. You know, uh, Thomas Jefferson founded a uh, a university. Did you know that, Doug Gray? I, I've heard I've heard of that university. What, what what's it called again? I don't remember. Oh. Um, Thomas Jefferson University, I think. TJU. Yes. Um, TJ TJ Hurston. Hmm. He's a left-handed hitter. I don't know what position he plays. He's a left-handed hitter. He doesn't have a ton of power, but um, he's got. That sounds like a center fielder to me, then. Uh, okay, center fielder. Uh, I'm thinking he's got some serious on-base vibes, though. 
you know. So we're not talking about a, a traditional red center fielder. I'm thinking this guy's one of these uh, Tony Gwynn, Wade Boggs types, you know, that not a ton of power, uh, but can place the ball wherever they want. And so against the the shifts that we see in our beer league softball, um, in, in that league, uh, against the shifts, he'll be able to place the ball wherever he wants. So we're I've, got say, it. I've got I've got the perfect comp then. Let's hear it. This is Juan Pierre. Juan Pierre. Center fielder, good back control, not a lot of power, but gets on base, can put the ball where he wants it. And real value in a player like that. Big time. And it's, unfortunately, it's a player we're not going we, to see too often anymore because of just the way the game is. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't go, uh, doesn't doesn't fly in today's. But in our softball league, we got him. <laughs> Absolutely. TJ, thank you. Thanks to all of you. Uh, appreciate all the support, and uh, I expect at least three more next week. Come on, let's go. Get on the horse. Um, if not, whatever. Still love you all. Uh, let's get to our questions. First question comes from, it's actually two questions. We're going to answer them both. Comes from Doug's friend and uh, and agent, Philip Razor. Oh, boy. This question is for Doug. Why haven't you convinced Hunter Green to unblock me yet on the Twitter? And then his next question is, this question is for Chad. Why hasn't Hunter Green blocked you on the Twitter? So, Doug, why haven't you convinced uh, Hunter Green to unblock Phil Razor? Because you deserve it, Phil. I'm always surprised when there's anyone that hasn't blocked Phil. <laughs> no, that's not true. So sometimes he makes okay tweets. Phil is a good Reds fan, and uh, he's also uh, aggressively Phil. And, I like the way you put that. Uh, some people uh, appreciate that, but his his genius is lost on some others. I think. Why hasn't Hunter Green blocked me on Twitter? Uh, well, there's no reason for Hunter Green to block me. I've never said a single bad thing about Hunter Green. Even the thing I got in a fight with with Hunter Green about wasn't bad. It was the truth. And he just took it wrong and whined about it. Hunter Green. I wish they'd trade him. No, I don't. Michael Henry. Who's going to have a better case for Rookie of the Year, Jonathan India or Tyler Stevenson? You know, I think it's funny. Um, I think most people, for most of the season, would have answered that India because he's been such a whirlwind this season, you know, and, and he started off so great. And then he slumped, and now he's come back and, and been great. And his numbers are, are, are good. Um, but Tyler Stevenson has pretty much been steady, steadily, um, steadily uh, productive the whole season. I think the answer is probably India because he gets more playing time. Uh, not a lot more, but he gets more playing time. But uh, both guys are going to be way up there. Uh, they'll probably sp- split the vote maybe. But uh, I don't remember the last time we had two rookies like this that were this much fun. Uh, to watch in one season. Who you got if you're naming Rookie of the Year? Or the question actually from, from Michael was, who's going to have the better case? I think I, it's probably I, like, India. Like you said, I think it's India because he's going to get more playing time. I mean, the, the counting stats matter. And I, I think that, you know, when they you know they go to vote on this in October, they're going to look and be like, oh, well, Jonathan India had, you know, 550 play appearances where Tyler Stevenson had 450. Like, that, that, that matters. A lot of the other counting stats are, are awfully similar right now, if you look at them. It's funny, their stats are really close to each other. They both have a 111 OPS+. plus. Uh, Jonathan India sitting 275, Tyler Stevenson 280 on base percentage. Jonathan India 392, Tyler Stevenson 382. Uh, slugging percentage, Jonathan India 414, Tyler Stevenson 429. Um, India 12 doubles, Stevenson 13 doubles. India 6 home runs, Stevenson 5 home runs. Um RBI is a little bit of a difference. Uh, India has 35 uh, compared to 22 for Stevenson, which, again, that that comes down a little bit to opportunities. So, uh, yeah, I think it's probably India. But, man, 
they, I love these guys. There's nothing to dislike about these two guys. They, they have, they're, they're very fun to watch. Uh, they've been a joy to watch, haven't they? And they come up through in big situations. I mean, as good as Winker and uh, Castellanos have been, uh, you get your two veterans, first-time All-Stars, and you got your two rookies. So that's, a, that's a pretty good group. And then the old man at first base who's still doing it. So whose numbers look in some ways similar to those guys as well. Uh, except more slugging and less on base. Who didn't thought it from Joey Votto? But Jonathan India. I'd like to see him finish 1-2, though. I would love to see it. James Urban asks... Non-baseball question this time. It's breakfast time, and that's an underrated meal. So my friend's top five greatest breakfast foods of all time. And he says, if omelets don't make the list, you are lying. Top five greatest breakfast foods of all time. Well, omelets are on that list. There's no question. Somewhere, right? I, for me, anyway. What about you? They're number one on the list. I think I probably put them number one. I probably put them number one as well. Um, Here's uh, the question. How do, you, how do you make your omelet, Chad? I like a ham and cheese omelet. There you go. Um, that's the right answer. Yeah, that's a, that's just that's that's the go-to right there. But uh, I mean, there are a lot of other uh, good breakfasts. I mean, I, I do like waffles. Um, let me ask your opinion on pancakes. Okay, I like pancakes, um, but I also feel like it's a food that I can only eat like two or three times a year. You know, I heard that makes sense. Yeah, I heard a comedian once uh, say that that pancakes. When you sit down and you're ready to eat pancakes. You feel like, oh my goodness, I these look awesome. I want a stack of a hundred of them. And then after you eat two, you're like, I'm never eating pancakes again. That's how I feel about a Big Mac also. I've never had a Big Mac. What? I know, right? <laughs> I'm un American. I mean, I'm not gonna go that far, but <laughs> you just blew my mind. I've eaten at McDonald's. I've just no, never I eaten mean... a Big Mac. Like, like once a year, I'm like, man, I really need to go get a Big Mac. And I get all excited about it. And I'm like, this is going to be great. And then I eat it, and I remember why I haven't eaten a Big Mac in a year. Right, yeah. Like, not that it's bad, but, like, it's, yeah. Well, I, yeah. And you'll do it again the next year, and, yeah. So here, here's, 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 i got to throw this out there. I love breakfast hash browns. Whether they're the hash browns like you would get at McDonald's or, you know, your, your shredded hash browns, I love breakfast hash browns. Anti-hash it, browns. Get out of here, Chad. I'm anti-hash browns. I'm uh, I'm not on team hash brown. Well, you're not on team Doug anymore either. <laughs> well, I'm afraid that's been the case for a while now. But uh, that's no, that's a that's a that's a popular uh, breakfast food. Uh, go back to pancakes. I just uh, how many times have you eaten them and been like, Ugh, I can't finish them because they just there's too many. I mean, I've, I've never had that. Before, oh, really? Wow. But, what but, about yeah? What about other forms of of uh, breakfast eggs? I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I like, I mean, I, I don't even know what else to call it, like Egg McMuffins, or, I mean, I, not necessarily from McDonald's, I make them at home, actually, but uh, I, I, I enjoy those, mm-hmm. you know, throw, get, if you get some, like, the uh, the sausage patties, Ooh. you can do, you know, sausage, egg, and cheese on your little English muffins, it's pretty good, I'm, I'm a fan. Yeah, you know, uh, I like scrambled eggs, love scrambled eggs, um, when I was a kid, I ate scrambled eggs with ketchup. No, I mean that's they're pretty good. Ew, they're pretty uh, good. Ew. Not a, not a, not a ketchup on eggs guy over here. I'm not a ketchup on anything guy anymore except for French fries. But uh, uh, when I was a kid, I I did that. Um, kids are weird. They are weird. You know, the, the truth is, uh, I've been trying to eat healthy for the last year and a half. And so, as we're talking about this, the one thing I think I really really miss, there is nothing better for me 
then, you know, getting up and driving uh, somewhere, you know, having to get on the road. And so you don't have time for breakfast. So you stop and you grab a, a bacon, egg and cheese uh, biscuit from, I don't know, McDonald's or Hardee's or wherever you, wherever you want to get it from. A bacon, egg and cheese biscuit. Oh, man, my stomach is growling now, literally. <laughs> You know, I think that they might actually serve those all day at McDonald's if you uh, Oof, no. want to go make a make a quick road trip after the podcast. I, I might have to do that. Um, no, it's a good question. I think the answer is probably almonds from one, though. Joe Farsing, these questions, again, these are actual questions, actual letters from actual viewers. These come from patreon.com slash redlegradio, where we talk about it. I didn't tell where you could go uh, to join the family. Joe's question is this. A reversal from last week's question. What's your all-time lineup of guys you love who play on rival teams? That's what he asked the all-time lineup of guys that you kind of you, you love to hate on other teams. It just uh, killed the Reds. And, he, and Joe says Chris, Christian Yelich is definitely on his. Who are some guys? Uh, one guy that was mentioned last week is one that you, you love to hate. It's actually you know Albert Pujols. I never could hate Albert Pujols, even though he killed he killed the Reds. He's probably on this this team for me. Is there somebody that jumps out at you? A guy from uh, all time during the time you've been watching um, who played on a rival team that you really really loved. Alfonso Soriano. Ooh, Alfonso Soriano. Interesting call. Interesting yeah. call. I, mean, I, I liked him everywhere he played, but I mean, when he was on the Cubs, I mean, he was he was beating the Reds pretty good for a while there. But God, I just loved his game. I mean, he was good at everything. Yeah, a guy growing up that I always he was the one guy I wished played for the Reds, um, and a local kid uh, should have been playing for the Reds. Frankly, uh, Mike Schmidt. The, the Phillies Hall of Fame third baseman. I loved no, Mike no, Schmidt. Never heard of him. <laughs> he, had, he had a mustache. He had a mustache, <laughs> had a just mustache. like yours, yeah. Gotcha. Um, what about Tony Gwynn? We mentioned him earlier. I mean, does he, does he count as a rival, though? I mean, well, I, the, probably, I guess I guess so. That, that was really before my time when the Reds were still in the, the you know, West somehow. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm just thinking about any, any, any National League team, basically. Okay. Here is the way I thought about this. So that's why I had him there. Um, oh. Andrew McCutcheon is, is a more is a more recent one. He's top of the yeah. He's probably top of my list. McCutcheon, I love that guy. I hated that he played for the Pirates back when we had to hate the Pirates. Um, here we go, Kerry Wood. That ooh, guy was just so fun yeah, to watch. Yeah, Kerry Wood, absolutely. Oh, I got one for you. You idea? Oh no, never mind. Um, let me think. Who else? There's got to be somebody. You know, uh, current players. A guy that I, Freddie Freeman's a guy. That I really like watching, and I hate that. And, and uh, we're talking first baseman. I hate to even uh, mention this, but thinking of other first base in the league, I've never been able to hate Anthony Rizzo. Should I? No, I mean I can't think. I can't think of a reason other than he beats up on the Reds <laughs> than to, to dislike Anthony Rizzo. Yeah. So we didn't really go around the around the diamond to pick any, but if you, you got one more for us that you can think of. <sighs> Let's see what's what's a position I haven't covered. Do we name it? Fernan- Fernando Tatis Jr. Oh gosh, yes, yes. Oh my goodness, yeah. Give me uh, nine Fernando Tatises, man alive. Or Tatis Junior. I didn't much care for his dad. I mean, I didn't dislike him, but he didn't. It wasn't wasn't quite the same. Oh my goodness, that kid. Goodness gracious. Um, all right. So, good question, Joe. Mike Perry gets us back to the current Reds. Which is the bigger long term risk for the Reds? Number one, the Castellini family not spending money to improve the team. Or two, the Castellini family moving the Reds front office away from analytics. What's the bigger long-term risk for the Reds? 
I think there's really only one answer to this, Doug. Do you want to take a stab at it, or do you want me to? You want me to hit it? I mean, I think there's only one answer too, so I hope it's the same one. Well, not, not spending money. Yeah, I don't see any way the other thing's going to happen. Uh, maybe yeah, I'm. I mean, yeah. I mean, every, everybody, you you have to do it. Like, there's no, there's there's, there's just no way they're going to step away from analytics. You can't I mean, go back. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're, the cat is out of the bag. You know, whatever other phrase you want to use to say, like it, you 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 cannot go away from analytics. You just can't. Yeah. That's not to say that you know you don't focus on scouting a little bit more in some way, shape, or form, but you're not going to toss out the analytics. It's just, it's impossible. The the family not spending money. That's the most frustrating thing to me is that this Reds team is not great. They are good. They could be better. And we have Joey Votto with a little resurgence here, who has a maybe, a, but still just has a, a small window. And this team just has a small window to compete. Maybe just this year, depending on uh, who leaves after this year. It's just malpractice not to try to help Joey Votto get back to the playoffs and maybe actually advance in the playoffs at least once. Um, Joey Gaditza asks, "Hey Chad and Doug, hope you're both great. Doug is great. I'm, you know, mediocre. Can we safely take to the bank that India will be the red second baseman and leadoff hitter for the long haul, even with the return of Moose on the horizon?" Uh, I'm not sure what would, uh, other than a, a trade. I'm not sure what would keep India from being the, at least for the near future, second baseman for the Reds. I think he's grabbed it and he's not letting go. Uh, is that fair? I think so. I mean, the, the only thing I can think of is that he winds up at another position because uh, a, a trade or injury of some kind opens up something long term, which is just tough to see or think about because you just don't know. Yeah. But, I mean, yeah, I can't see anybody overtaking him at second base anytime soon. Yeah, yeah. So they got a, another problem with moose what do they do they're, it's gonna be difficult to trade him if, if and when he comes back um difficult to trade suarez i don't know they're, it, they're hear me out i'm hearing you designated hitter in the national Ugh. league in 2022 oh please no gosh I, it's gonna happen i know it's, it's gonna happen i know but um i'd like my designated hitters to hit so um suarez please come back <laughs> uh pete wills P. Wills asks, next month, I'm bringing my kids to their first Reds game. Awesome. When they visit the Phillies next month. Uh, now, Pete, is that uh, you're going to be at uh, Citizens Bank Park there in Philadelphia, or are you going to have a Great American Ballpark? I don't, I'm not sure I understand by your question, but either way, first Reds game, that's exciting. His question is this, is filling out a scorecard a must for a first baseball experience? And what are your other must-have experiences for a first game? Well, I'm going to make some people mad real quick. Oh, gosh. I've never filled out a scorecard for a Major League Baseball game. Doug, right, first of all, let me say this. I'm going to answer the question. I'll try to ignore Doug's nonsense. Um, it, sometimes it's going to depend on how old the kids are, um, and you don't say there, so that, that's part of it. But i got to say, filling out a scorecard, to me, I miss it when I go to games now. I scored, car, scored games from the time I was a teenager until about probably 10 years ago, maybe less than 10 years ago, pretty much every game I went to. I mean, I've got books still here, uh, scorebooks. I would take my scorebook and fill them out because I was that I was that geek, um, and I'm I miss it when I'm at a game now. It's to me it, that's a that's fun. It, it's it's a way to stay engaged in the game. Um, but uh, I don't know. I can look on the, my phone now and see what he did in his last two at bats, <laughs> you know, or how many pitches yeah. the pitchers thrown, things like that. So, and I, and I you know, Chad, I don't. I feel bad for saying it like this, but I think that that might be a generational thing. By the time that you know I was a teenager. I could look up a box score immediately online 
you know, and granted, you know, that this was, you know, in the mid to late 90s, so I had to do it at a, on a computer with, like, a big tube, uh, you know, monitor, but not like today where I could just look it up on my phone and get it instantaneously, but I, I didn't need to have that paper record to look back and see what happened. Well, yeah, no, it's it's completely generational, but I didn't do it for the record later. I rarely went back and looked at these things, frankly. I never have. But I'm nerd you are. I know, right? <laughs> um, when I could start seeing it on my phone at the game, you know, um, that's when I just kind of abandoned it. Um, but I liked having it there and be able to see what a guy did and see who's coming up next at a glance and what they've done. And I don't know. I just, it, it, I think, I think it's a good experience. I think you should introduce, should introduce your kids to that if they're, um, the right age. The only other must have experience. I think you really have to, uh, introduce them to the, uh, scientific fact. And, and these are, this is science that every food tastes better when it's eaten, eaten out of a plastic helmet. Yeah. I was about to say, are you going to disagree with science, Doug? Not on that one, I'm not. (laughs) So good question, Pete. Hope you all have a great time and uh, let us hear how it goes. Uh, Rex Scott, let's try to run through the rest of these if we can here. Uh, Doug, just a few more. Rex Scott would like to hear Chad and Doug's overall assessment of David Bell as a manager based on what he's done with the resources he's been given and also the climate within the clubhouse. I think he's done pretty well with what he's got to work with and with the solid cohesiveness easy for me to say, if the team speaks well to the effects of his leadership, what say you both? I say I don't have, I don't know. I say that um, he, uh, this team may be a little bit better than some people projected before the season, but not much better. Uh, and if they are, that's the first time in his uh, managerial career that any team that he's had has outperformed expectations. Um, I, I think he's a mediocre manager. I think he's fine. I think he's, I don't have any problems with him. I don't, even, I don't see any reason to fire him, but I also don't, see any reason to give him a big raise either from what i can tell he's just fine maybe he's great in the clubhouse at some point are we going to see that on the field maybe we are seeing it on the field right now i'm willing to believe that's the case i just think he's mediocre um just he's he's an average manager which you know given some of the managers we've had over the years actually i'm inclined to take an average manager uh you know he's no jerry naren or bob boone or some of these other yahoos so anyway any quick thoughts on uh, on david bell as a manager doug I think you nailed it. That was pretty much what I was going to say. Uh, all right. Well, if Doug's not going to talk, I'll just uh, speak the rest of the time here. Seth Thank Shaner's you. question goes back to the John Fay thing that I kind of alluded to earlier. John Fay. Okay, let me just read what Seth Shaner says. In what could be termed a hilarious yet predictable social experiment, John Fay, former Reds beat writer for the Enquirer, poked his head back up in Twitter land recently and had a take that was instantly lambasted by the masses. While I don't want to give to and basically said that Nick Kroll, uh, should get credit for signing all these waiver wire guys in the bullpen because they've been good for the last two weeks. Now, Seth, uh, I think t- t- agrees that uh, maybe some of the, uh, and I, I would agree with Seth that some of the some of the backlash was a little bit crazy. But Seth says this: while I don't want to give too much credit to someone in Reds management, I think I can make the case that with what he had to work with, Nick Crawl was fairly smart. He saw the need to have relief pitchers with options that he could shuffle back and forth between Louisville and Cincinnati, and because of his lack of funds, he did so on the cheap. Where would the Reds be without guys like Art Warren and Brad Brock? No, they aren't all-stars, but they can hold this potentially sinking ship together until reinforcements arrived. Arrived, They have served their purpose, right? Well, uh, you know, um, yeah, I mean, I don't think you're wrong uh, about that, Seth. But I'm, you know, how much, uh, how much, I mean, does it take smarts to see that someone's available on the waiver wire because other teams don't want them and to pick them up? I mean, it's not like, I mean, it, some of these guys have been decent uh, for a little bit. It's true. You know, Art Warren uh, has um, been pretty good in 16 games. 
you know, Brett Brock's been pretty good in 21 games. Uh, but these are these are known commodities. Did they all of a sudden get good? And if so, well, yeah, okay, I'll give Nick Crawl credit for knowing that every other team was wrong on these guys and taking a chance on them. I think it was just desperation because he had to have actual arms out there. And so he took the best ones that were available on the waiver wire. And I have a hard time giving him too much credit for that. Not that I blame him for the faults of this team, because that's on ownership, but I don't see giving, uh, <laughs> giving Crawl much credit at all for doing what what I, w- I could have done, frankly. So anyway, Doug, am I wrong? Not exactly, no. Uh, yeah, I, I've got some thoughts on the John Fay tweet. I think that the biggest issue with John Fay's tweet is that he didn't state what he was trying to say properly. You know, yes, those three pitchers, which I believe was the actual intent of his tweet, are performing well and, you know, good for them. Like, I think that he was just trying to say, hey, these guys are pitching well, um, you know, good, good pickups on those guys. But when he kind of tried to extend it to, you know, we need to give kudos to, you know, the front office for doing that, that kind of ignores the fact that that's the same front office that, first off, decided that none of those guys were good enough in the beginning of the year to pitch and instead gave Carson Fulmer, Sal Romano, CNL Perez, Jose De Leon, you know, opportunities, Cam Bedrosian, all those opportunities first, and also brought in those guys to begin with, too, um, to basically be the worst bullpen in the history of the world. Um, right. I mean... If, if he'd worded it like Seth did in his question here, I think that's probably a much fairer way to approach it. They're not all-stars, but they can hold this potentially thing ship together to reinforce the drive. They've served their purpose. I think that's exactly right. They've served their purpose. But was that their purpose when Nick Crawl decided to sign them? Did Nick Crawl say, I'm getting these two guys and watch. They're going to be back of the bullpen guys. No. He, they no, needed no, arms. Because, because, because if, those were, if that was what was going to happen, they'd have been here right. in April, not showed up you know, halfway through May when the ERA of the bullpen was over seven. Exactly. Exactly. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think uh, I think maybe it's a little charitable to give Crawl any credit here because, you know, um, again, I, I just don't think it took very many uh, many smarts. I'm having a hard time speaking today to uh, to do that. Uh, and it's not that I don't think that Nick Crawl's smart. I actually think if Nick Crawl had support from ownership, he could be a very good general manager. I, I do firmly believe that. I've not necessarily seen any evidence of that yet. That's sort of, that's just me, my speculation based on knowing. Uh, Having some conversations with him and knowing people that know him, what they say about him, but but we don't know. So, next question comes from Rich Thompson, dear Chad and Doug. Personally, I was pleased when the Reds recently called up Alejo Lopez, for I thought he was most deserving. Plus, he sort of reminds me of one of my all-time favorite Reds utility players from the late '80s, early '90s, Luis Quinones. My questions are as follows: Does Alejo Lopez remind you a bit of Luis Quinones too? If so, do you think that Alejo has the potential to have an even more illustrious MLB career than Luis did? And if you caught a foul ball off of Alejo Lopez's bat at a Reds game, would you proudly display it on your display in your living room bookcase for all to see? The answer is that no. Um, I, I would not display a foul ball that happened to land in my... I wouldn't have caught it. I'd have been picking it up because I couldn't catch it. That's why my high school baseball coach encouraged me to play tennis. Um, Alejo, Alejo Lopez, you know, uh, great uh, in double A, great in triple A this year. And he's in, you know, just 15 plate appearances so far, but hit on his first major league swing and... Uh, I like having that kid around. Good for him. 25 years old. Luis Quinones' career might be uh, might be what he's uh, where he's going. I think he has a chance to be better than that. He's a better hitter than, than Quinones ever was. But, you know, Quinones debuted at age 24, played till he was 30, and, you know, um, was mostly a pinch hitter, never really a full-time guy. Uh, what's Alejo Lopez? Quickly, Doug. Uh, what's Alejo Lopez's uh, ceiling? 
I mean, with this team, it's tough to see where he is anything else other than a pinch hitter. Right. He plays second base and third base, and he's not playing over the guys that are playing there. Yeah, he's a Quinones on this year's team, but does he have any kind of potential to be even more than that? I mean, can he be a I mean, I, I mean, starter I, I for a couple he, years? I mean, I think it's possible he could be a starting second baseman somewhere. I just don't think it's going to be here. Right. Because he's not playing over Jonathan India. Yeah, yeah. So, and, uh, you know, if he's here, probably a uh, a pinch hitter or, you know, maybe a third baseman in a pinch. But and Rich, uh, just so you know, I would not keep the, the foul ball on display. And I've got a Sean Casey home run ball uh, that's sitting in my basement somewhere like a... So no, no, no foul balls are getting displayed. I've caught a couple foul balls and or three, I think, and I just I give them away. Am I am I weird for that? No. Um, Ronnie Justice. Ronnie says, "Hey, Chad and Doug, listen every week and love the show. Thank you, Ronnie. Also, thanks for the autographed copy of the Big Fifty that uh, Chris uh, Garber sent him. Uh, my question is, do you guys see any trades that the Reds could make at the trade deadline that's realistic? Uh, you know." This question gets asked occasionally, and I don't see any realistic int- uh, trades until I have some indication that Bob Castellini is going to permit it. Did you, did you see Nick Carl's uh, comments where he was like, yeah, you know, we, if, if the situation presents itself, we can be aggressive. We might be able to be aggressive or something. It was just like he said nothing. There's no sense yeah. to me that, in my opinion, maybe I was reading that wrong, but I don't, that, give me some indication you're going to have some money to, or some, some flexibility to make a trade, then maybe I'll believe you. But uh, until then... Why should I believe something that has not happened so far? Yeah, it just came off as, I have to say something, I have to answer this, but I can't throw my owner under the bus. That was the answer. Right, yeah. So, I'm sorry, Ronnie. I, I, we The Reds need to make trades. They've got to get some arms in here. Um, they, they just It's a fact. they got to try to improve this team because they've got a chance to win. They really do. But it's going to be tough on the long haul. And this is going to come, the next question is a really good question that's going to kind of address some of this. It's going to be really tough, too, if they don't improve. The team, I just, it's, there's a lot of games left, half a season. Uh, let's go ahead and ask this next question. This comes from our buddy, Woo the Reds. Woo the Reds. You know, we went to a game at the PNC Park in Pittsburgh a, a couple weeks ago, my wife and I, and uh, she was like, what are they, are they doing the woo here too? I was like, I think they were doing the woo before we did it, but yeah, they do that at the, at Pittsburgh, and I love it. I love the woo. Uh, um, here's the question. I'd seen him uh, make this comment, uh, I don't know, on twi- Twitter or on, on Slack or somewhere, but it's an interesting it's an interesting way to, to look at this. Does this season feel like a repeat of 2014? I keep getting the same vibes as that season, including the team streaking as they head into the All-Star game with the Reds being, quote-unquote, in the race. We all know the failures of ownership slash front office not acting back then. Let's go back to 2014, because I hadn't really thought about this uh, very closely. Um that team, of course, was coming off the wild card season of 2013 where the Reds lost to the Pirates and that ugh, where Johnny Cueto famously dropped the ball in that wild card game and bounced out of the playoffs. And uh, Dusty Baker was relieved of his managerial duties in 2013. 2014, uh, the Reds finished 76 and 86 under Brian Price. Um, fourth place in the National League Central. Okay, Now, to his point, in July... July 13th was the high water mark for the Reds that season. At uh, now, July 13th, is that right? Let me look here. Yes, that was the high water mark. That was the, they were seven games over 500. That was the most they were ever over 500. And that's about where we are in the season now. That'll be uh, next week, July 13th. Uh, a game and a half out at that time. Johnny Cueto got the win over Pittsburgh. And so the Reds were kind of flying high then. Um, 
but they were only in third place, although they were just a game and a half out. So they were, they were in the race. Now they proceeded to lose seven in a row <laughs> immediately after that. But at the end of July, at the trade deadline, the Reds were 54 and 54, 500, five and a half games back. Um, and the, you know, uh, we know what happened. They ended up tanking and, uh, they probably should have traded some guys. Now, maybe my, Doug, you can remind me, my memory may be, seems to me like that was a team that had some flaws. The bullpen was not great. Um, but, and, and I guess they needed to go get help. But I thought, in my memory anyway, the failures of ownership front office back then, and woo, maybe you can uh, enlighten me, maybe my memory uh, seven years later is not so good, is, uh, is not trading some of these guys before they left. Um, and I'm not sure that would have helped the 2014 team. It would have jump-started the... Uh, the rebuild that needed to happen, but I'm looking at this lineup and I, you know, who, who where do you feel? They had a pretty good lineup starting, uh, starting eight. Did the, they though? Uh, look pretty good to me. I mean, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at the their stats right now, and they had three hitters that were better than league average, and one of those was Joey Votto, who played in 62 games. Yeah, everybody, everybody else was significantly below average at the plate that year. You're right. That was that was before we realized Cozart was going to have a good season as a hitter. Um, yeah, no, as I'm looking at it, I mean, you're not going to get rid of Bruce. He had a bad year that year, but, uh, he's 27. You're not getting rid of Bruce. Um, Billy Hamilton's Billy Hamilton. Um, Ryan Ludwig, the two guys they probably should have parted with and tried to upgrade. Now that, that I'm looking at, it, they should have found a left fielder. And was that the year they had a chance to get Marlon Bird and didn't, um, uh, I, and, I, don't, I don't remember the exact timeline on that one. And, and they should have cut bait on Brandon Phillips at that time as well. And giving his job to Skip Schumacher, obviously. No, they could have upgraded second base and left field. Yeah, that's... And shortstop. Shortstop. I mean, you know, Miserocco was, was great. Uh, that was his big year. For that one year, yeah. yeah that before, was his... He, before his body betrayed him. Yeah, that's one of the saddest stories. Uh, Votto was Votto, but he, don't, he didn't play. And so I think he had... Uh... And, and even when Votto played, like, that was the year that he played with the knee injury for a while and... I mean, he got on base, but he hit 255 and slugged 409 that year because he was playing on one leg when yeah. he did play. Yeah. Um, yeah, now that I'm looking at it, they needed some help. You're right, Doug. Uh, I'm just looking at the names and without really looking at where they were in their career, you know. Um, I mean, that starting pitching was really, really good. Like, they, in, in a way, it, it kind of reminded me of the Brewers this year. I mean, their offense is really bad, and the pitching, I mean, there, again, you know, you mentioned there, there were some bullpen flaws, but like, you know, they had Chapman at the in the, the bullpen there. That was the year Jonathan Brockson had an ERA of one eight six. Like, they they had a really strong back end of the bullpen and a really good rotation, and their offense was terrible. Yeah, but they gave uh, fifty four games to JJ Hoover, fifty three to Manny Parra, forty two uh, my nemesis Logan Andrusek, you know, thirty six to uh, Jumbo Diaz is actually okay that year. Uh, but you're right, yeah, the back of the bullpen was fine. Um, Lacure was pretty good. That year, the rotation Quato was just magnificent. He was Quato. Uh, I was here. He went twenty nine. Leak was basically average. He was Mike Leak. Uh, Alfredo Simon was uh, was good, somewhat above average. Um, not yet a bloated corpse. Um, let's see. Homer Bailey was average that year. Matt Latos was good. You know, Singrani pitched uh, eleven games that year, and he was good. Not eh, great. He was not good. No, he wasn't good. He wasn't good. No, that's, that's an ERA of eighty-one. Yeah, I'm looking at plus of eighty-one. Yeah. but you know, if you, if you combine what the Matt Latos did for that quote-unquote fifth spot, since they both had you know they had yeah. sixteen and eleven starts, I mean that's probably a, you know a league average fifth starter, or well, better than a league average for a fifth starter, but a league average overall pitcher in your fifth starter spot. Yeah. So to to go back to Wu's question, um, 
I don't see a, a, an exact parallel because it's, it's not as obvious. I mean, there's not. It's not like they have, they're having a. The reason they didn't do it back then, I think, was an unwillingness on the part of ownership to part with players who he thought were popular, or were popular with him, uh, in order to fix the team. That was what it was. Not an unwillingness to let the front office do any work at all. The difference is this year, the front, we know what they need to do, with, and they're not getting rid of you know. Uh, if the Reds get rid of you know Art Warren, in favor of some great closer or whoever, you know, eh, that's not gonna. Nobody's going to care that Art Warren's going to lose his spot. So I just think it's it's a, it's a different reason why ownership is uh, is meddling. Um, but I, it could very well end up with the exact same result. I think it's an interesting uh, parallel that I actually want to explore more if we get a chance. Um, any other thoughts about that? No, no. I think that we we covered a lot there, and you you wrapped it up fairly well. Let me see if it would, quickly if we had any questions from Twitter. Uh, Hoffman or Gutierrez, we already got that question. That's obviously Gutierrez. I like Gutierrez. Um, see anything? Are you as happy as I am? This is from WV Redlegs, WV Red Meat. Are you as happy as I am that neither of the Reds All Stars in the Home Run Derby? No, I wish they both were in the Home Run Derby. I love the Home Run Derby. I'll say I'm happy, but probably not for the same reason. When I watch the Home Run Derby, I want to see guys hit the ball 500 feet. I love Jesse Winker. I love Nick Castellanos. They're not those kind of home run hitters. I don't care. I want to see them. No, that, that's fine. I, I respect that, Chad. That's not when I watch the home run derby. I don't want to see twenty four hundred and twenty foot home runs. I want to see eighteen five hundred and twenty foot home runs. I'm a Reds homer. I want to see. That's how. okay. Last question comes from uh, Twitter.com at Redleg Radio hash Brown viewer mail. Uh, Sydney at Trans Reds fans ask this because to you I assume Doug. Do you think any other minor leaguers will get called up for us? That sure. I, I presume that haven't been <laughs> haven't been yet. I think the answer is yes, but which ones? I, 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 be honest. I, I think we'll, I'll be shocked if we don't see both Hunter Green and Nicoladolo at some point this year, assuming they're both healthy the remainder of the season. Yeah. I just, I just think that given the situation with the Reds pitching, even with everybody coming back, both of the guys, you know, they've got, they've got the stuff, they've got the arms. Um, I, I'd just be surprised if we don't see them, especially if the Reds stay in contention. Yeah, I mean, but... I, you know, if they just completely fall apart, you know, maybe the Reds play that game that we don't want to rush them, quote unquote, but. If they're in it, I those it's, guys can get it done. Yeah, yeah, it's easy to play that game where you're like, uh, you know, kind of like Mick Crawl hinted. Oh, we're gonna get Lorenzo, get some of these guys back. You know, um, Santana's gonna come up and, and help the pen, and then you, you know we got Green and Adola can come up and, and potentially help the pen as well. You know, this is gonna be a great bullpen. Now you're ignoring the fact that other people get hurt. With, you know, you're not gonna have everybody healthy at the same time. It's just not gonna happen. There's lots of things that can happen. They need, that's why they need to go out and acquire some depth. Um, in, in that bullpen, but I have no hope that they will. Doug, uh, we got to get out of here, man. Any final okay. thoughts? Go Reds. Go Reds. Uh, you know where to find us, subscribe to us, whatever. Um, just do it. Do it for crying out loud. Uh, for Doug Gray and Luis Quinones, where's Quinones? This is Chad Dotson saying so long, everyone. Thanks for listening to Red Leg Nation Radio from RedLegNation.com. Subscribe to Red Leg Nation Radio on iTunes or through your favorite podcast app. And join us for discussion of all things Reds at RedLegNation.com. 24 hours a day, 7 days a week.